Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is no doubt that over the course of the last few days, dating back to last Monday, the Georgia fans have been on a high that is very, very hard to bring them down from. There's no doubt about that. However, that does not mean there aren't some people out there that are going to do everything they can to try to for whatever reason, steal the joy, get in the way of the excitement, get in the way of the celebration. I, I, I don't know what else. And like around here, we are still so happy about Georgia's national championship, and we will be for such a long time to come that we feel like every now and then if we have a chance to kind of take somebody down a peg or two who's trying to chase clout for themselves by stirring up trouble or something like that, I almost sort of feel like you have to, to go out there and do that. So for a couple of minutes here off the top, uh, this is probably one of those things we sort of feel like we need to do here today. Stetson Bennett's interview from Good Morning America the day after the national championship continues to get kind of a lot of attention. Honest, the truth is, I couldn't have spoken to the world at 7 a.m. that morning. I, I couldn't have done it. Uh, I was barely able to do it at 10 a.m. Eastern time. I was at the uh, press conference there at 9 a.m. before that. Uh, just, I, I would have been very shaky had I tried to make that appearance on Good Morning America, and I speak for a living. Someone like Stetson Bennett does not. He was clearly disoriented by all of that. You can... I guess, have your own opinions as to why he might have been disoriented. But um, he clearly uh, was a little disoriented from the entire experience there. And there's, I guess, one thing in particular that that Bennett said that has kind of gotten a lot of attention. Now, all of this is also kind of kind of coming within the backdrop of the fact that we still, as of yet, officially don't know what Stetson Bennett's going to do for next season. Now, we also don't officially know what JT Daniels is going to do for next season either, but it has strongly been intimated, including Mike Griffith at DogNation.com, that Daniels is going to the transfer portal. You're now waiting sort of news on Stetson Bennett. I think the, the smart money seems to be on Bennett coming back for this upcoming year, but the unknown status for Bennett next year is kind of the, I guess, the backdrop to this entire discussion. But one of the things that the Good Morning America folks asked Bennett about, including Michael Strahan, who obviously is a former football player, but the truth is Strahan doesn't know one thing about college football here right now. He's a lot more in the entertainment wing of the TV world now than he is the certainly the college football world of all of that. But you know, he asked Bennett what's he, what he's going to do for next year. And there was the thing that Bennett said during that interview that – Boy, the 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 pearl clutching, the 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 shock factor has just been off the charts about of oh my gosh, how could Stetson Bennett have have said all of this? By now you probably know it, but we haven't actually played the audio for you on this show before. But this is Bennett on the subject of his plans for 2022, at least when it comes to football. This is what Stetson said on Good Morning America. I'm gonna play football this next year. We'll see where. Um, we'll, we'll see if I can, you know, trust the uh, decisions that are made by, you know, the staff um, and see where I'm going to play. But right now I'm, I'm enjoying this national championship. And the next part, you know, who knows? So I've told you before that I don't view anything that Stetson Bennett said at whatever, 7 a.m., whatever time that was, especially given the fact that he may have been, you know, chemically altered or whatever else, at least there's the possibility that was true. I don't view that as any kind of binding referendum. And I think that's even more true given the fact that given a chance to speak again a couple of hours later, it's worth pointing out that Bennett wasn't asked about the direct text from his Good Morning America interview because I don't believe anybody else was in the room was awake to have heard him speak on Good Morning America, giving you an idea of how early all of that was. But the point is um, – you know, Bennett had a chance to amplify those remarks further later on that morning and just simply didn't choose to do so. So therefore, 
I don't necessarily make that big of a deal on the whole notion of, oh, Stetson Bennett said he uh, not sure he can trust the coaches. That's the way that a lot of folks have kind of read into what Bennett has said there. It could be just a misspeak. He did say it. I guess you have to take responsibility for your words. But the honest truth is, is uh, <laughs> if I'm Stetson Bennett, I don't want to do this interview anyway. It's not my fault that I was awkward on Good Morning America. It's, it's Good Morning America's fault. They put me on TV because I'm pretty sure that Bennett, in most situations, would have rather been sleeping as opposed to kind of going out there and doing that interview on TV. However, while most sensible people probably view that that way, there are some people in life who just choose not to be sensible, especially if they feel like there's a name they can make for themselves in the process. Now, if you're like 70 years old, you know the name I'm about to tell you. And if you were born at some point in time in the late 20th century, you may need to be acquainted with Mitch Album, who wrote for the long time for the Detroit Free Press, was on a TV show that I, actually I did grow up loving called The Sports Reporters. The Sports Reporters was like every Sunday morning at like 8.30 on ESPN. It was really a lot of ways the precursor to uh, what you see on like Pardon uh, the Interruption or even like some of the first takes type stuff. I mean, The Sports Reporters in a lot of ways was kind of the precursor to a lot of that. Now, it was also kind of frustrating for someone like me who grew up down here in Georgia. The typical panelists, you could pretty well tell they had never covered a sporting event south of Philadelphia, and they kind of had this sort of big city vibe of the only thing that mattered was the stuff that mattered in, like, say, New York and Boston. And there was always a little bit of a frustrating aspect of that to the sports reporters. But essentially, that's kind of what sports used to be. It used to be this thing where there was this heavy imbalance in favor of the stuff that happened in the northeast corridor of the country and anything else that was in that you know, kind of geographic area sort of seemed to matter a little bit less. Now in 2021, now 2022, the sports world is a lot more democratized than it used to be. All of a sudden now you can't ignore what SEC fans love. All of a sudden now you do kind of have to pay attention to college football, things like that, because pretty clearly in a world in which people can make their own choices, so many people gravitate towards college football. So the way in which like a show like the sports reporters in the past would have sort of ignored what Southerners like, they can't really do that anymore. But because guys like this spent such a long time pretending the South didn't exist, when they talk about the South, they make themselves look like fools. Mitch Album, the example of that. Because there is now, I guess, and I honestly didn't know this until like five minutes ago, there is now a sports reporters podcast, which is, I guess, uh, at least based on what I listened to today, a little bit of a, a similar format to... Um, to, to, to the regular old school show that used to exist back in like, you know, uh, you know pre-HD days. Uh, and on one of the recent podcasts, Mitch Album, who I mentioned to you a moment ago, the Stetson Bennett clip we just heard right there, Mitch Album got his very serious voice on, his, uh, you know, uh, coastal elite sports media uh, face on. And boy, he really took Stetson Bennett to task. I don't know that anybody's ever sounded more like a fed than Mitch Album did ripping into Stetson Bennett. And I told you before, Georgia fans are on such a high from winning the national championship that when we have a chance to call out somebody who uh, is trying to injure that enjoyment, trying to uh, get in the way of Georgia fans enjoying themselves, we're going to call them out for what they are, Mitch Album included. But this is Mitch Album ripping Stetson Bennett and I think very bizarre fashion. Take a listen to this. Everyone agreed that Stetson Bennett was a great college football story, but somebody forgot to give him the script. After he won the national championship with Georgia, he was interviewed on the field, where he seemed mostly dazed. The next day he was on Good Morning America, looking like he was about to pass out from partying. And later he said, when asked about next season, quote, I'm going to play football this year. We'll see where. We will see if I can trust the decisions made by the staff. Whoa. Talk about failing the audition. 
This kid was set up to be the absolute darling of college football. Instead, after doing everything but mowing the lawn to get the job as Georgia's starting quarterback, he now has fans wondering if he'll bolt someplace else? Hey, Bennett's not obligated to do anything except play hard and try and win, which he did. But if his story was, as so many were saying, a Hollywood script, I think they're going to find someone else to play his part. First of all, what a narc. This whole idea of, oh, he looked like he was uh, about to pass out from partying on Good Morning America. He just won the national championship. I would hope he would have had a good time. Now, I, I can't confirm nor deny that he was hungover, intoxicated, whatever else. I've seen the picture of him drinking the bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, which, by the way, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to sip that. But nonetheless, uh, Bennett was having a good time with that. But beyond that, I can't speak to his state of mind. And, you know, frankly, it's a shameful thing that Mitch Album tries to here. But this whole notion of this is supposed to be a great story, but Stetson Bennett's not cooperating. It's not his job to cooperate with your narrative. Uh, it, it's not. And this thing where, like, you know, people who ought to know better, I mean, Mitch Album's darn near 90 years old, I would guess, uh, you know, this idea that it's, you know, that Mitch Album doesn't know better to to try to paint Bennett into some sort of corner because of some sort of awkward interview. Honestly, I think that's sort of a shameful chapter of the sports media world, the fact that this is still being kind of dragged out there when it comes to Stetson Bennett and all of this. I mean, Bennett has offered his defense for this this Good Morning America interview, and I'm sorry that people can't quite let that go, but Bennett has certainly acknowledged the fact that he was probably not at his best one way or another, and folks tried to try to make it into a drunk thing or something like that. It very well could have just been a sleepy thing. I mean, I promise, if I went and woke up some of y'all at 6.30 in the morning and said, this, you know, that uh, Tuesday after the national championship and said, hey, I need you to go out there and speak on national TV. I'm not quite so sure that me or many of you would have equated yourself much better than he did. But let's remind you here. He went on, uh, pardon my take, the barstool deal, uh, what last week there as well. And, you know, once again, he did try to offer a little bit of an explanation for why the Good Morning America thing went as badly as it did. Now, I didn't mention the whole trust the coaches narrative here, but he did at least try to explain why the interview, from his perspective, didn't go quite so well. Can we cut the kids some slack a little bit here? How drunk were you when you had to go on Good Morning America? That sucks so bad. Yeah, well, the problem was, like, I... The problem was it was just it wasn't like a zoom call like this so i couldn't see michael and i couldn't see myself so i had no idea what i was looking like <laughs> i was just talking to like just a, a circular camera so if i could have seen myself i probably wouldn't have been like leaning over to the side or, or, or i don't know i probably could have done a better job um but i mean i got out of the stadium at 2 30 in the morning the interview was at 7 40 in the morning like tough after you win a national championship it's a tough spot yeah, uh, to be- you're out there. This is like the best night of your life. You should be able to fully enjoy yourself. And anybody that shames you for being drunk or hungover the next day, that's that's just that person telling on themselves that they've never won a national championship. Because that's what you're supposed to do after the fact. If anything, they should either pay you money to do the interview, or you should just do the interview with somebody who's equally as drunk as you are, so that way nobody can point at you and be like, he's the bad guy. We're all in the same boat right. together. So... Um, I, I personally didn't have a problem with it. It's tough when you do that interview. Um, like there's a difference between when Joe did it with you guys and me with like the most professional morning show in America, the, you know, good morning America. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a tough spot. I got a few texts. My grandma called me on over that one. (laughs) This guy's getting ripped by his own grandmother for his TV performance. You got other, you know, old school sports writers trying to drag this back out there and kind of run his name through the mud again. And listen, I'm not going to, 
you know, ignore the fact that it has probably been a little bit of a hard year for Stetson Bennett. It's probably a little bit of a hard Georgia career for Stetson Bennett in terms of, you know, thinking you had a chance to compete for the job, not really given that chance before, like, say, the 2020 season. Yet you come in and save Georgia. You you win the Arkansas game, which Georgia was not going to win without Stetson Bennett, and you kind of earn that starting job only to be cast aside. And, you know, you're not really given – I mean – any practice reps at all before the 2021 season would Bennett throw the ball four times at G Day? It gives you an idea of how much of an afterthought he became. And then he still emerged as the quarterback that led Georgia to the national championship. So I'm not going to pretend that it hasn't been a little bit of a hard ride, nor am I going to pretend that that he probably has a little bit of, you know, built-in bitterness about some of that. Uh, Bennett's dad told Dog Nation something to that effect, that it's been kind of a hard year. But I still think there are a lot of people who are trying to make this thing into something that it's not. However, ultimately – the entire Bennett story and how it coincides with Georgia winning the national championship, I think is actually pretty instructive in, in, in one respect. And I'm going to try to see if I can lay this out for you. But first, I need to introduce the show. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Hello to you, and thank you for being with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, starting at 945 for our first in 15 10 a.m. after that on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 963F, podcast form wherever you find them, the Apple Player, Spotify, uh, worldfamousdognation.com. And I know we had a little bit of an issue with posting the show at the worldfamousdognation.com. Some of you had a little issue with the podcast player on the browser there. So what I've done, and hopefully this is kind of a nice workaround as we kind of figure out all the, you know, I guess the tech goblins that are messing with this. When we post the show at dognation.com for now, we're also including the link to YouTube there as well. It's a simple click, and you can watch or listen at YouTube. For those of you having a little bit of an issue with the podcast player on the website dognation.com, hopefully this provides a nice workaround on that so you can still consume dognation.com, or I should say dognation daily, without having to leave the website. Hopefully that all makes really good sense. Something I know will make good sense to you. Mike Griffith stopping by here in just a little bit. We'll look forward to talking to Mike about some of the ongoing you know, issues with Georgia as a bunch of guys move on to the NFL draft. It has a chance to truly be a historic class for UGA. And obviously the work of kind of putting together that roster for 2022 is obviously still a very big deal here too. We'll do a lot of that with Mike Griffith coming up in just a little bit. Before that though, I want to go around the doghouse and it's furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. Now, let me continue the conversation a little bit on a more serious vein of what we were having a moment ago when it comes to the quarterback spot and Georgia. And I think there is a very sweet aspect, sweet meaning enjoyable, a very enjoyable, sweet aspect to Georgia's victory over Alabama for the national championship that I don't think has been fully considered as of yet. And, you know, we may not have thought about this collectively, but something tells me that Kirby Smart deep down probably feels a little bit of a sense of validation. I've talked plenty in the past about the fact that one of the things that Nick Saban would go around doing over the course of the last few years was patting himself on the back and talking about his willingness to change and how he was so smart and so wise because he saw the way in which college football was evolving. And he was essentially almost mocking those who hadn't been quite so, uh, you know, intelligent as him to notice all of that. And it always kind of seemed like when Saban was saying some of the things that he was saying, that it was a little bit of a subtweet of Kirby Smart, who seemed to be a little bit of a, a guy lagging behind Nick Saban in this one key area. So in light of the fact that Kirby Smart's team just won the national championship, and in mind of the way in which Kirby Smart got that done, 
Let's go back to here, something that Nick Saban once said that sounds as wrong now as it ever could have, but all of this kind of ties together right now to the ongoing conversation around George and the rest of college football. This is Nick Saban from like early 2021. Take a listen to this. The game is different now. People score fast. I grew up with the idea that you play good defense, you run the ball, you control vertical field position on special teams, and you're going to win. Whoever rushes the ball the most for the most yards is going to win the game. You're not going to win anything now doing that. I, because, A, the way the spread is, the way the rules are to run RPOs, the way the rules are that you can block downfield and throw the ball behind the last scrimmage. I mean, those rules have changed college football. Right? And no huddle fastball has changed college football. So I changed my philosophy about five or six years ago I, and well, it was more than that. When Lane came here, we said we got to outscore him. So that's Nick Saban bragging himself. And, you know, he's bragged on Lane Kiffin so many times for how Kiffin allowed him to kind of make that change. And in retrospect, all the stuff that Nick Saban said there, and he said that kind of stuff over and over and over again. All of the stuff that Nick Saban said there just turned out to be wrong, that actually defense did still matter. It was the Georgia defense that led the Dogs to a national championship here this year. And if you go back and look at the teams that have recently lost in national championship games, they all had great quarterbacks, you know, Bryce Young or Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Tua Tungo Bailoa. You know, they, they all had great quarterbacks, the losing team in the recent national title games. But on the day in which they lost, they just got bested by a, a strong defensive performance. That's actually been a little bit of a trend in college football as of late and you know for Alabama here in 2021 they're going to whine about well John Mechie was hurt or well Jameson Williams was hurt they're going to whine about some of those injuries but the truth is a program like Alabama shouldn't be undone by a wide receiver injury a program that sort of built itself on on being tougher being deeper being just more you know more physically dominant you shouldn't be undone by a wide receiver injury but over the course of time Alabama kind of became a little bit of a finesse football team putting all of its faith and hope in the quarterback spot when you've got a you know a a Mac Jones that works out pretty well when you've got a Bryce Young in the SEC championship game that works out uh, pretty well but you are also susceptible to being you know, uh, dominated by a very good defense. Tua was in the 2018 title game against Clemson. Bryce Young, you know, for the most part, was handled and kept at bay by the Georgia defense this past, uh, you know, Monday night in that national championship game that Nick Saban turns out to be not just a loser in the title game, but loser in terms of his perspective on the evolution of the sport. The sport was not evolving and changing as fast as he thought it was. That's a big mistake on his part. Kirby Smart never sort of you know, relented in his idea that, yes, running the football is going to matter. Being physically tough is going to matter. Playing defense is going to matter, and he's now the reigning national championship in light of that. But to kind of tie this conversation back to the previous conversation, here's the other thing that kind of comes up here, is that the quarterback spot is still the most important position in college football and in all of football. It's the most important position in all team sports. However, when you see Georgia win the way that it does, I think what this serves to do is to diminish the importance of the quarterback position across the landscape of the sport at least a little bit. In other words, there are things that matter in addition to quarterback, not things that matter more than quarterback because quarterback is still the most important thing. But when you watch the way in which Georgia builds up its national championship program, I think you come to, to realize that this is not just quarterback play. It's not just seven-on-seven, seven, how many points can you score, that the other aspects of the game still matter as well. So what Georgia did along the way to winning this year's national championship 
was to make quarterback a part of the equation, but not the only thing. And as you move forward to 2022 here, there as well, no quarterback is going to be bigger than the Georgia roster. If JT Daniels were to stay, he wouldn't be that guy. Obviously, it seems like he's not going to. But if he was here, he wouldn't be bigger than Georgia football. If Stetson Bennett, who just led Georgia to a national championship, if he stays, he's not going to be bigger than Georgia football. A guy like Brock Vandegrift, who uh, is a former five-star and who has a chance to, in his hometown, maybe be the starting quarterback for Georgia, if he becomes that guy, he won't be bigger than Georgia football that Georgia football is going to be bigger than any one quarterback. So whether it's Stetson Bennett being forced to compete and see if he can earn the job for 2022 or JT Daniels being forced to compete and uh, try to earn the job in 2021 or anything else, Georgia football has set itself up to be bigger than just the quarterback position. It's not going to be a thing where where Georgia has to have a quarterback step in and save it. It's going to be a, a, a program where you have an opportunity to maybe be the quarterback for a team that could be on its way to winning a national championship that's an important change and it's an important distinction and in light of everything that has been said about the quarterback spot and everything that folks are going to try to say about the quarterback spot going forward keep in mind here that Georgia's national championship was a team win Georgia's national championship was the collective achievement of everyone associated with the program Nick Saban tried to tell you that this was only about quarterbacks and scoring points and playing finesse football Kirby Smart proved that was wrong so Whoever comes back to play quarterback for Georgia here in 2022, they are going to be a part of a team, and they're going to have to earn their spot, earn their chance for playing time. And no one's going to be bigger than the team, not the guy who led Georgia to a national championship or not future players who could lead Georgia to a national championship. And frankly, I think that's a pretty good thing for the dogs to be able to say about themselves. That is Around the Doghouse, and it is furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. And obviously, Rooms to Go, so much fun to think about as you move in towards the new year because – Let's face it, you know, a lot of the new year, new me stuff that comes out there is making your home look better. You know, you have a resolution to say, hey, it's time to feel good about where I live here in 2022. That means more furniture. That means better furniture. That means whether it's a, a single piece or an entire room, obviously that's what Rooms to Go is famous for. Whether you're talking about living rooms or you're talking about, you know, uh, bedrooms, children's bedrooms, dining rooms. A lot of you want to take more advantage of your outdoor living space. Obviously, in a place like George, we have nice weather for the most part. We get a chance to do that. So you can get uh, a chance to shop for some patio furniture there as well. Whatever you need for you, your kids, anything else, Rooms to Go's got it for you. You can start your shopping experience in-store in one of the Rooms rooms to Go showrooms, or you can start your shopping experience online there as well at roomstogo.com. The website, once again, roomstogo.com. Of course, the word two spelled out, T-O. You can check them out, and you can find out in 2022 what's that great piece of furniture you need you know, for an entire room, indoor, outdoor, everything else, Rooms to Go has got it all for you. Certainly, we appreciate Rooms to Go furnishing around the doghouse here today. Uh, we're not done with Nick Saban on today's program, by the way. Before we're done, I think we're going to take a little bit of a look at what I thought was a little bit of a bizarre move on the part of Saban here this week. And we'll try to decide what it means. Also, there's a potential loss for an SEC team that seems to be on the rise here a little bit, and this could be worth paying attention to as you start trying to figure out what the landscape around the rest of the league for 2022 looks like. So we'll cover all of that before we're done, and we will uh, look at another UGA player in addition to a few others who kind of made their announcement to move on to uh, get, try their hand in the NFL. We'll do all of that before we're done. But for now, on everything else, roster movement, guys going to the transfer portal, guys going to the NFL draft, eventually maybe even a guy or two coming into the Georgia program. Let's kind of start to figure out how things shake out for UGA in 2022, a guy who's been covering a lot for Dog Nation here as of late. Uh, that is Mike Griffith. Let's talk to him right now. 
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll sell it to Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And obviously there is a lot going on that you kind of move into a time in which the one-time transfer, the opportunity to kind of try your hand at another program. A lot of players are going to take advantage of that. Obviously, Georgia is going to try to take full advantage of its 85 scholarships there as well. So there's a race to get the best possible roster you can, and there's the race on the part of players going to try to figure out where's the place that makes the most sense for me. And obviously, all of this kind of ties into a lot of other players ready to kind of move on to the NFL there as well. So we'll do our part to try to cover all of that. And I'm sure most of you find yourself like I am, kind of refreshing those pages at DogNation.com a lot over the last few days to try to keep up with who's doing what and who's going where. And, Mike, if you don't mind, let me start with the NFL part of this for a moment because one of the things I've said a good bit as of late is, hey, as long as Georgia had not won the national championship, there was always going to be that one little bit of negative recruiting fodder that some programs could have of questioning, you know, do you really want to go to Georgia? You come here, you can win a national championship. We've proven that. Well, Georgia's kind of shattered that as any kind of, uh, you know, objective or should say a uh, uh, you know, any kind of ability to reject Georgia on that basis. They've kind of shattered that. But the other thing that I think it also has a chance to kind of continue to shatter as you move towards April in the NFL draft is, you know, we're going to see more Georgia defensive linemen drafted higher in this draft than we have seen in recent years. We're going to see a higher number of UGA players taken in the kind of the front end of the draft than we've seen in recent years. You know, over the course of the first, you know, three rounds, very good chance you see double-digit type guys going in that draft for Georgia that this is suddenly, even though Georgia's been very good at producing NFL talent in previous years under Kirby Smart, it seems like we're on the way towards seeing Georgia take another step forward in that regard there as well. And I think that's also the kind of thing that future recruits are paying attention to, that Georgia is now producing NFL-level talent at a rate that certainly compares favorably with any other team in the country. Let's see if we can pull a mic up there. I actually asked Kirby about it earlier, and he, he sounded surprised. I don't know if he hadn't stopped and counted yet, or he was hoping that a lot of these underclassmen would stay. But, I mean, you've got 15 guys that are draftable, okay? 15 draftable guys. Listen, John Fitzpatrick is on the radar. I know he didn't make a lot of catches, but listen, that's a big, athletic, smart guy, great locker room guy. You know, there's a place for six foot four, two hundred fifty five pound tight ends. You know, that are blocking the most elite edge rushers and, and can run and catch. And you know, Josh would probably, you know, excuse me, John would be that Camarda. You know, the two punters at the Senior Bowl this year. You know, there's there's uh, some comments out there that, that these are two of the best pro punter prospects that have been that have come out in the last ten years. Jake Camarda could be drafted. You know, Zamir White, uh, one of the underclassmen, may not be going to the Senior Bowl, but he will be drafted, and maybe fourth or fifth round. Uh, but, but you better believe, uh, you know, there's somebody that wants a guy like Zamir that not only can run the ball with power, but also, you know, is willing to play those special teams. And a lot of people turn their nose up at the special teams, but for a lot of players, you know, when you're trying to be that third or fourth receiver, that third or fourth running back, uh, Elijah Holyfield, a great example, um, this is how you make the roster. And, and Georgia's got guys, because of the way Kirby um, you know, has them play special teams, because of the team-first attitude, because of the level buy-in, um, they've got guys on both ends of the draft. We know about the elite guys. We know about Trayvon Walker and Jordan Davis, Kobe Dean, George Pickens, Darian Kendrick. You know, these guys have all been mentioned as possible first-round picks. And, uh, but, but it's just as important that you have those other guys get drafted uh, you know, in, the, in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. And that number could be 15, Brandon, and the, the record is nine. They'll certainly shatter that. But um, you know, I'd put the over-under probably at 13 or 14, 13.5 maybe. 
And I think you're right in terms of, you know, Georgia continuing to be an attractive spot for players when they see, as you said, throughout the entirety of the draft, guys moving on to the league, that's really important. But one of the things that I was very open about, uh, Mike, over the course of the last year leading the season was, is that if Georgia wanted to be a true national championship contender, it just had to have more kind of front-end NFL draft talent measured by, like, say, first-team All-SEC stuff or or first-round draft pick, you know, second-round pick you know, type stuff, too, is certainly in that conversation. But to me, it's no coincidence that Georgia breaks through as a national champion in a, in a year in which it's also going to break through in terms of total numbers of top-end contributors being higher than it's been under Kirby Smart. To me, it's no coincidence the national championship coincided with that kind of individual success for these players. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and, and truly, if there weren't injuries last year, they could have won the national championship last year, or if Jake Brom comes back. For, I mean, you can play the what-if game forever. I mean, why not? Alabama fans are doing it now. They lost, you know, remember, Bama lost six first-round picks last year off of their national championship team. Georgia will probably have three, maybe four, but probably, to your point, maybe seven or, or even eight, uh, you know, go in the, you know, in the first uh, couple of rounds. So you do have to have that level of talent. You've also got to keep those guys healthy. It's, just, it's an important part for any team. There's no shame uh, in, in the, you know, well, you know, the other team had guys there. Well, you know, you know, Georgia lost, you know, uh, you know the All-American transfer, Tyke Smith, the injury, uh, Jalen Kidd, you know, two starters in the second before the season. Uh, but no doubt, the season talent was why Georgia won that football game. Alabama's good. Alabama's loaded. They'll be the prohibited favorite for next year. They should be. Uh, Bryce Young, uh, Mel Kuyper said the other day, you know, him and Will Anderson would have gone one and two in the draft had they been eligible this year. Um, but this is where, as you pointed out, it comes in a year where you've got these seasoned veteran players that are going to be immediate contributors in the NFL playing for you. And, that, and that's why a year ago, uh, when Jordan Davis made it, your guy, the guy you, you picked before anybody else, Jordan Davis, his first appearance, you leaned over and said, this guy's going to be special. And uh, that's why him coming back was absolutely the cornerstone for this national championship season. I don't know without Jordan, not just because of his contributions as a nose tackle, but because of his leadership, because of the way he held the team together in those summer workouts when Kirby was grinding, because of the resolve he showed after the championship game lost, Brandon, when he took it upon himself and said, I'll be in better shape, and probably dropped about 10 pounds between that SEC title game and the next. That set the tone for everyone. And so, to your point, when you have the season talent, when you have the returning seniors, and that's why it's so good to see Robert Beal, uh, Christopher Smith, uh, coming back for their senior seasons, um, you know, these are the types of guys that are cornerstones on championship units. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. One of the things that you wrote this week that's gotten some attention was the notion that JT Daniels is likely under the transfer portal. Probably doesn't come as a big surprise to me. Maybe not a lot of the folks there either. I mean, listen, I think there are a lot of ways in which the Daniels era could have gone differently at Georgia, but you know, once he lost the job this year, I think he was a very good soldier about all of that. There's the photo that some have seen of him holding up Stetson, celebrating there at the end. So as someone who roots for this team, I honestly wish him well. I hope he finds a place that he can play. I hope he has great success uh, there next year. But But clearly the one thing that that Daniels news – sets up for is a quarterback situation in Georgia next year that's going to have a little bit of a different look to it, right? Whether it's Stetson Bennett who comes back and reemerges as the starter or a guy like Brock Vandegrift or maybe even Carson Beck has a chance to win that job and they do. One way or another, there's going to be a, a lot of attention paid to that quarterback spot there at Georgia as you move through the 2022 uh, calendar year, right, Mike? 
Yeah, so so fluid. You know, that's the word I would use. It's just you know, it, it literally changes. You know, it could change with a phone call today. You know, and and as for JT, I mean, the, the mindset was this. You know, it's it's like uh, gosh, this is uh, probably a scary analogy, but it's kind of like that airplane pilot when the plane's going down, right? You you don't give up on the flight. You know, you're thinking you're going to save this thing until it hits the ground, right? And, and you know, it didn't hit the ground for JT till you know, Stetson, you know, had a difficult first half and, and he didn't go in. So that that was like, okay, it's not going to be a two-a deal. But in order for him to stay prepared, he had to remain a good teammate. That's what you do. That that's what great that's what great players and leaders do. You support one another. It's, it, it, Stetson was his teammate, and, and he supported Stetson last year. And then when JT went in the last four games of last year, Stetson supported him. Yeah. So those guys, you know, so the fans and the commentators, you know, they can argue and fight back and forth. But the reality was that those two young men had a friendship, and they had a support system for one another. Uh, you know that you know when you saw when Kirby was screaming in Stetson's face at halftime of the Orange Bowl, you saw JT run right up to get right there next to Stetson. Even though it wasn't Stetson's fault, I mean, hey, you're the head coach, Kirby. You can call the darn timeout. Why you're screaming at Stetson, nobody knows. You've never explained it. You should have never done that. But but the point is, there was a support system for one another, and and that's just the type of culture that breeds championships, you know. And I you know, I saw some people. Oh well, he, he he didn't look like he really wanted to go in. He wasn't brooding and ugly. That that's not championship performance. That's not championship culture. That's not the skull sessions that Kirby put in, that's not the leadership, that's not the ideal of this team that Kirby keeps talking about, the connectedness. And you can talk about it, and that's one thing, but you've got to exhibit it. And we go back to <clears throat> Jordan Davis, again, you know, chemistry guy, not only a great player, but a chemistry guy that exhibited that teamwork and that togetherness, and him and Devontae Wyatt and the other frontline players supporting one another, or JT and Stetson Bennett. Now, back to your question on the quarterback room, it's absolutely a shell game. And, you know, what does it mean? Well, JT leaving means Carson Beck has new life to stay. They're going to have four scholarship quarterbacks, ideally, at the start of next season. And JT won't be one of them, all right? So now all of a sudden, if you're Carson Beck, you stick around. What, you, you, just, you just survive. I mean, that's what Steph did for how many years? He just survived. He just stuck around. And then when his opportunity came, he cashed in on it. And maybe Beck will be that guy. Who knows? Maybe Beck will beat out Vandergriff this spring. We don't know. Or is it behind what's curtain number three? Who's behind curtain number three? Is it Jackson Dart? We know that they wanted to you know, Caleb Williams probably going to USC, probably leveraging Georgia for more money. We're talking millions of dollars right now, by the way. The price of our quarter, a quarterback, a high-profile quarterback in the portal, goes into the millions now. This is one of the unintended consequences of NIL deals, etc. So to your point, it's a mad scramble. Uh, Georgia fans shouldn't be fearful. They should be excited. Uh, Kirby Smart is a master at acquiring talent and evaluating talent. And to your point, uh, you know, it, it will be exciting. And you better believe that Georgia will have somebody under center for Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks on September 3rd that knows what they're doing. It could be Vanderbilt, could be Beck, could be Bennett, or it could be behind, could be behind what's behind curtain number three. So let's play this out from Nick because I think this is kind of interesting. And you know, without getting into, well, what if there's a newcomer that arrives on the scene here? Just because you know that's kind of difficult to process compared to what we do know. You mentioned Carson Beck by name here, and here's one of the things that I do think is worth considering. I've been saying this now for a while about Beck or Vandegrift, or maybe one day Gunnar Stockton in the same category there as well. If you look at a guy like say Mac Jones, who was a really pretty unheralded signee 
for Alabama when he arrived there way back in class 2017. Same class as Tua Tungavailoa, for the most part a total afterthought, and yet he probably ends his career as, at that time, the best quarterback in Alabama history. We'll see if Bryce Young eclipsed that, but at the time, Jones in a single season was as good as they'd ever had. Same thing for Bryce Young a little bit in that look how good he's turned out to be. He's the Heisman Trophy winner, and yet he stood there on the sidelines in 2020, barely played at all, kind of waiting his turn. That I think there is something to be said for, you know, the smart quarterback in the future here might recognize when transferring isn't appropriate. Because, Mike, here's what I can tell you. Look at a place like Auburn where you've got three recent transfers in that program. Uh, you've got T.J. Finley from a year ago. Robbie Ashford, the Oregon kid, just moved in there. Of course, he's from Alabama originally. And then Calzada came in there as well. Well, guess what? That's a couple of guys at least who've burned their free one-time transfer without really any guarantee they'll ever play there at all. It's almost like 12 months from now, are they going to regret not waiting for maybe a better opportunity? And obviously, every player is going to kind of make his own mind up on this. But I do think in a time in which everyone's transferring and everyone's trying to find out the grass is greener somewhere else, knowing when it's not the case, knowing when patience actually has the chance to pay off for you, that to me is what a wise quarterback is going to do. Now, maybe it's one of these Georgia guys, maybe it's not. Time will tell on that. But if I was a dad of one of these guys, I would definitely be kind of paying attention to that, that there are a lot of transfer situations that just don't really work out for whatever reason, and be very careful that you know what you are transferring yourself into. Well, a wise man said to me the other day, it's the devil you do the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. And and there's no way of knowing exactly what's going to happen at the next school. Totally. You know, certainly uh, you know, it, you know, it, the, the, you know, Gunnar Stockton could have never predicted what the quarterback room was going to look like. That's why you commit to the school. We don't even know if Todd Martin will be back. You know, we we saw reports that LSU came after him. You know, it's, it's no secret. Coaches are always looking to advance, and you know, Coach Munkin is to me one of the one of the MVPs. I thought he was remarkable this year. I thought he was efficient. Uh, certainly, we I think we all enjoyed his presentations and his confidence in the program and in Stetson Bennett. Um, to me, I'm, I'm sure that's one of Kirby's top priorities is to keep Todd Munkin. You know, but but Todd Munkin may have aspirations to be back in the NFL, right? As it is, you don't see him on the road recruiting, right? We're seeing um, Buster out there, so maybe that's maybe that concession's already been made. You know, to make it that much sweeter to Todd Munkin that look, we don't want you to break your back and be on the road twenty four seven. You're you're very special, and you know we have ways around this where you don't necessarily have to be on the road recruiting nonstop like other position coaches. So you know that that's another component to this. I, I add this to our commentary. Because Todd Munkin, as I wrote Russ yesterday, if, if Munkin leaves, it's spin the dial. And you may have a new winner because you're talking about a new offense, you're talking about new relationships, yada, yada, yada. So uh, the bottom line is it's unpredictable. Uh, there's no guarantees anywhere. One of the unintended consequences of NIL, right? And on the one hand, it presented an opportunity for players who weren't happy to go somewhere else. But one of the unintended consequences is you know, for every you know, there, for every action, there's a reaction, right? Wherever that transfer goes, there's probably two or three guys that have been working really hard to win that position and thought they were next in line. And uh, wait a minute, we're going to take this guy? Yeah. I mean, for example, let's look at the Georgia running backs room, right? So it looks to us like Ken, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton are are you know KM squared, you know Dog Nation crew. Looks like they're on deck. Looks like they're going to split the carries next year. Well, wait a minute now. You know, Dejan's coming back, we think, right? You're bringing in this tremendous talent from Mississippi. But what if, what if they bring in a 1,500-yard rusher? They want that fifth guy. 
changes the dynamics dramatically. Now, is there a chain reaction event? Does one of them does one of them transfer out? Is it an opportunity addition, or is it something where they simply think they need another uh, running back because they had what five last year, so they want at least four this year that are proven? There's so many aspects and facets that have been brought by this NIL and one-time transfer. It's almost dizzying, and if you're a fan, it can be overwhelming. Things move so fast. Our conversation today, Brandon, may not even be relevant yeah. in a week. May not be relevant in two hours. I think you're absolutely right about that. Let me finish with two things, or should one should say one thing together here that we do know is that Georgia has two current coaching openings to fill. They may have more, but we know they have two. So between the you know spot allocated for defense that we assume is for an outside linebackers coach could be for something else but we assume it's outside linebackers for the spot on the offensive side that almost definitely will be a wide receivers coach uh do you have any thoughts on how george is currently looking to fill those two coaching openings right now i'll say this on monday night when we had the freshman awards and the spurrier award the presenter for brock bowers was scott tarkin and that was Coach Cochran's first public appearance back on the Georgia staff. Now, none of us media hounds asked him any questions, but he certainly seemed to be there in a capacity. So that is a possibility that with Muschamp elevated to co-defensive coordinator, does Scott Cochran assume special teams coaching duties once again? So I think we should leave the door open for that possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't know. Maybe he just stays on in a non-on-field uh, capacity. But I did think it was noteworthy um, now, you know, Todd Hartley, the tight ends coach, was, was recruiting and in the air, and that's why he couldn't present Brock Bowers to the audience. But still, the fact that, that it was Coach Cochran, I thought, was, was, was notable. So let's see what happens with Cochran. Could he potentially move back into the special teams coach role? They knew it would only be one. I think we knew the receiver's opening was coming. One thing I'll say about Coach Munkin is, in truth, he's really more of a receiver's coach, right, than a quarterback coach. That's, that's kind of his specialty. And, and there's a lot of precision involved there. And sometimes when, a, when a, a coordinator or even a head coach is overseeing a position, they can lean particularly hard on that position. I remember Mark Antonio, you know, telling me at Michigan State how Nick Saban was just ruthless on his defensive backs coach and, and how the first year Saban realized, or uh, Antonio realized that he really wasn't coaching the room. Saban was. He was just there to listen. It wasn't until the second and third year. As I'm sure Kirby Smart kind of went through the same process with Nick Saban, as I'm sure Coach Adai and Coach Warren probably go through with Kirby Smart overseeing the secondary as a safeties coach. So with Munkin in charge, I wonder if we will see somebody, again, another potential concession to Munkin, could Munkin have his hands on that hire, and do we definitely know it's a receivers coach? Or you know, could, you know, could there be somewhat of a shuffle and you get an actual quarterback's coach? And the reason that's key is because Georgia is hot and heavy in it for Arch Manning. Is, you know, people just got done drinking the champagne for Gunnar Stockton, and you know, Archie Manning is the guy that is at the absolute top of the Georgia list. And could there be a hire related to recruiting Arch Manning uh, on its way? These are things that you brainstorm and think about as you look into the future when there's openings like this. Mike, thanks for being here. Look forward to reading a lot more from you at DogNation.com. It is just a – it's crazy. You know, it's like Georgia just won the national championship, but January is probably even busier from a news standpoint just because <laughs> there is, you know, so much work to be done to put that 2022 team together. So I'll look forward to reading that from Brandon, you. Brandon, don't you, don't you think the championship – to me, like, like we were celebrating the championship, not maybe realizing that just how fast the news cycle would turn to next year. I kind of feel like the championship – was the 
end of the season. Like normally, we should be like celebrating this through Bay, right? But yeah, instead, it's like nope, it's over. It's on yeah, the free agent. Yeah, board. yeah, not much, not much time to bask in the glory of that before it kind of moves on to the next thing. But obviously, that's what you do well, Mike. So we'll look forward to reading more from you on that, and of course, uh, here again very soon on Dog Nation Daily as well. Thanks, BS. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So a couple things here, and then we'll get into the cruiser on the SEC. Mike is right that obviously Munkin has that little bit of a history at the wide receiver spot and, you know, allowing him to occupy the wide receiver coaching role in title would give you a, a chance to um, to look at another, you know, on-field coach and quarterback's coach could potentially be that. That, that is true. A couple of things here. Um, you know, Munkin is not really somebody that I think of as kind of a black belt level recruiter. And I think it's sort of okay for your wide receiver. I should say, I think it's okay for your offensive coordinator to not be that sometimes. I don't think Jim Chaney recruited very much. Uh, if, if Munkin as an offensive coordinator is not doing a ton of recruiting, I think that's probably okay. He's there to, to call plays and that's kind of enough. Now I do think he was actually present with Faulkner and the rest of that crew when they went to visit uh, Manning, Louisiana this week. I, I believe that's the case. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe one of y'all can correct me on that, but I believe that's what the rumor mill had suggested, that he was on the road there for that. But the point is, is that Munkin, because he's a former NFL guy and things like that, his acumen probably just in more in the direction of of calling plays and you know constructing an offense more so than being you know kind of the lovey-dovey guy that recruits want to be around. I typically think of the wide receiver coach as one of those spots where you have to have that great recruiter or you have to have that guy who can be a great recruiter. So so I don't know that Munkin, to me, is a great fit as the stand-in for the wide receiver coach because that's a spot where I do think you have to have a great recruiter. And you know, if you're moving Munkin over there as a way to make room for something else, then from a recruiting standpoint, you probably get diminished here a little bit because, listen – you can say what you want about Cortez Hankton, but Hankton was cited specifically by a number of Georgia players as the reason they came to UGA. You've got to have that guy in that wide receiver spot, coaching spot, who attracts players to the program. And so I, I do think how they move all of this around. Does Scott Cochran get consideration to come back on the staff? I saw Scott on Saturday. He was certainly enjoying himself around the celebration of the national championship. It was a great thing to be able to see for him. Obviously, you know, he's got a nice story that he's trying to work on here, and we continue to cheer for him as he does that. We'll see if it culminates in him being back on the staff there again but that's one thing we know George's got to do two coaches have to be hired now Kirby's also shown you in the past he takes a sweet time towards getting that done he's very slow to make any kind of announcement related to that whatsoever but there are two assistant coaches that we know are going to be added here and we'll see if anything else you know comes in addition to that the other thing that Mike brings up that I have not talked enough about and I'll be totally candid with you here for a moment when Robert Beal made the decision to come back, and that news came out yesterday, obviously, I'm like the rest of you, I took it as very good news for Georgia. Hey, veteran presence guy that I, you know, when I saw him playing this year, I saw him playing pretty well. Uh, at least the best that I could uh, evaluate seemed like he's playing pretty well. I'm not going to lie to you, and I, I'll never be anything other than my most truest, authentic self. I had no idea he had six and a half sacks. Like, I just, I mean, I, I mean, I knew he'd gotten after the quarterback, but... He was Georgia's individual sack leader for this past season. Uh, Nicobe had six. Uh, Beal had six and a half. That number did kind of slip past me a little bit. It almost kind of reminds me of, remember DeAndre Walker in 2017 playing in a reserve role on that team in kind of a situational pass rush type spot? When the year was done and you looked at, wait, he had how many tackles for loss? He had you know, 13, 14 tackles for loss that year, some crazy number like that where – 
there's this like individual stat line that's actually you knew he played well, but the individual stat line was a little bit better than you thought it was. In the case of Beal, I have to say that his individual stat line last year was a little bit better than I probably gave it credit for during the year. So when you talk about Nolan Smith coming back, you know, also talk about uh, Robert Beal coming back there as well. He's been at UGA forever. Class of 2017 guy. Uh, back for another year. That's actually probably a pretty big deal all the way around. Let's go cruise around the SEC now, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. And a lot of you talk about, you know, me wearing the scarf here on a Royal Caribbean cruise. I'm definitely going to look forward to being on some Royal Caribbean cruises here in 2022. Probably sans scarf for that, but hopefully getting a nice tan and having a good time. And so many of you get a chance to do that same thing there too. Taking advantage of everything that's available to you when it comes to a Royal Caribbean cruise ship, including Perfect Day Coco Cay private island right there in the Bahamas exclusive for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation there's a thrill side that's got the you know the, the tallest water slide in North America and you know the helium balloon that takes you 700 feet up in the air there's the chill side that's got the private cabanas it's just a really fun experience and the kind of thing that you would come to expect from a Royal Caribbean cruise ship and the kind of thing that you could be a part of here in 2022 and if you're saying, well, now's the time I need to do this, need to make my plans to be a part of this, I'm telling you, you should. And here's how you should do it. Uh, check out our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. It's TCAVA.com. That's the website, TCAVA.com. Or give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. You can book a Royal Caribbean cruise here this year with folks who are UGA grads. The Cruise and Vacation Authority guys are. They also know everything there is to be known about how to make a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation the best it can possibly be. So check out the Cruise and Vacation Authority, tcava.com, or 770-952-8300 for a lot more on that. All right, a couple of things here. And i got to be really careful about how I talk about this. So Nick Saban yesterday entered the world of politics. Now, I don't care at all what you think about the issue in which Saban weighed in on. Some of you know it. I'm not even going to mention what it is because, honestly, we want to steer clear of politics all the way around here. Uh, you know, I, I don't care to tell you my opinion. I don't care to hear your opinion. That is not what this show does. It's it just really not. So you can be, f uh, you can be for it. You can be against it. You, you can... You can, whatever, I don't really care. Um, I just thought the whole thing was very interesting, that Saban signed this letter in regards to pushing a certain politician to do a certain thing. But there's also, I think, reporting that there was like a footnote to the letter where he's like, I don't agree with all this, I just agree with part of this. Just the whole thing just really seems really strange. And here is my take on Saban's involvement in politics just given the fact that Saban, over the course of his career, has literally done everything that he can to, to stay out of the fray on stuff like this. Clearly, Saban's a big name. Clearly, people respect Saban's leadership. Therefore, you know, any kind of opinion that Saban would express would carry a lot of weight with a lot of people. Saban, knowing that, has been very careful not to wade into certain waters before. And so on this particular issue, he has, at least partially. Here, here's the thing that I think I'm left to 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 assume on this that this is Saban kind of doing a version of the audio clip that we played from him a little early in the show kind of assuming that the sport of college football has changed more than it has where you know earlier he's like hey no more defense and running the football I don't even care about that stuff anymore all I'm about is throwing the ball and wide receivers and let's go out there and play two-hand touch that this was Saban trying to show you that I may be 70 and I may be you know spray painting my hair to to you know look like I still have some but uh, I know how to change. You know, I, you know, I, know, I know how to you know, evolve with the times. And 
Saban probably leaned into that a little bit too much. The world maybe hadn't evolved quite as much as he thought it would have. I think this particular issue there as well, I think that Saban maybe misunderstands the fact that are people waiting around to hear what Nick Saban thinks about some sort of political issue? I don't believe they probably are. And I just think this speaks to one way or another, whether you agree or disagree. And frankly, I think that there's plenty of room to feel however you want to. I truly don't care how anybody feels on any kind of political issue, at least when it relates to the show. I just think this kind of speaks to a guy like Nick Saban sort of trying to flail around and figure out where he fits into the 2022 picture and how much he really needs to change as a person going from being the kind of person that didn't get involved in politics at all to now trying to be more involved in politics or the kind of person that used to love defense and running the football to now being the kind of person that only cares about quarterback play and wide receivers and things like that. I don't know. This sort of leads me to wonder how much longer Nick Saban really wants to be a part of this. Trying to make sense of NIL, trying to make sense of Transfer Portal, trying to make sense of the way in which the game is changing, trying to make sense of the expectations that are out there for you know, for coaches in terms of speaking out about politics, you know, does Nick Saban really understand how he fits into the world right now and how he fits into the to the current iteration of the sport? Does he have the energy to compete with guys like Kirby Smart? I'm honestly not so sure that he does. I think the world of Alabama football post Bryce Young could be very interesting. Clearly, you would want to stick around for another year when you got a quarterback like Bryce Young. Alabama's going to be the favorite likely to win the national championship next season. I don't mind acknowledging that, just given how good Bryce Young is and Will Anderson's coming back there as well. Uh, there's obviously a lot to play for there in 2022. But what about beyond that? What if they don't get Arch Manning? Right now, it seems like they're probably not going to. You know, Ty Simpson, guys like that, kind of waiting in the wings at the quarterback spot. What if they're not the guy the way that Bryce Young clearly is the guy? Is that a world in which uh, Nick Saban wants to still be a coach in? I'm starting to wonder if if some of the way in which Nick Saban has incorrectly predicted the way in which college football is evolving, if all of a sudden that might not speak to him of, hey, maybe doing something else with my golden years makes a little bit more sense for me. At least worth considering there on that front. A couple other stories here as we're cruising around the SEC. Uh, I think one of the cool stories in this league has been Sam Pittman, not just because we like Pittman as a former Georgia assistant, uh, but you know, uh, this is a guy that's also had far more success at Arkansas much sooner than some folks thought he would be able to. You know, big season in 2021, uh, transfer portal success here, moving into 2022, but coinciding with that, folks coming after your assistant coaches last year. Uh, Pittman had to fight very hard to hold on to his defensive coordinator, Barry Odom. Odom got big dollar offers to go to a place like Texas, chose not to do that. This time around, he's having to fight to hold on to his offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles, who I think has been quite successful and one of the real reasons why Arkansas has had the surprising success it's enjoyed has been because of the presence of a guy like Bryles hired away there as offensive coordinator. All of a sudden, now it seems like Miami, which seems to want to spend a lot of money now with uh, Mario Cristobal coming over as head coach, they seem to be want to be a player on the scene, the way in which Miami kind of hasn't been for a good number of years. And obviously, Cristobal, the one issue we always had there at Oregon was finding that successful offensive coordinator. Joe Moorhead turned out not to be that guy. So striking with a guy like Kendall Bryles, who seemingly confirmed his credentials based on what he's done there at Arkansas, this seems to be a move that Miami wants to make. Seeing if Arkansas can hold on to Bryles is going to be a very big offseason story because the Razorbacks have been a tough out the last two years and could be an even tougher out here in 2022 if it's able to hold on to uh, a coordinator like this, who I think calls plays on the SEC West side about as well as anybody does, that's a story worth paying attention to. Then finally, there's this, Harrison Bailey, a lot of you remember him, former quarterback from Marietta High School, threw touchdowns to Reed Gilbert, went to Tennessee. I always thought that Bailey had kind of a bright football future ahead of him. 
Clearly, though, Josh Heupel made the right decision at quarterback, turning his attention to uh, Virginia Tech transfer Hendon Hooker. Now, they didn't land on Hooker to begin the year. That was uh, Joe Milton to start the year, but eventually they arrived on the right guy for them. It was Hendon Hooker, and the Tennessee offense was successful because of that. Bailey moved out, as quarterbacks have a tendency to do. And you see a lot of this. You know, Bailey has to take a step down with his transfer. He goes from Tennessee, where he was, to finally landing at UNLV. And no disrespect to Bailey, no disrespect to UNLV. They've had good quarterbacks before. Randall Cunningham played that program. But the point is, is that this is a little bit of a step down from a program standpoint. And unfortunately, when guys enter into the transfer portal, this sort of seems like it ends up being the thing that happens oftentimes, which is, you know, a lateral move from a program as big as the one you're in somewhere else. Frequently, that ends up not being the case in the – Case for Bailey here. He's on his way out to uh, Las Vegas. We'll see how he lands out there. But but a very different landing spot for him compared to where he was there in the SEC. We'll make that cruise run the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. Let me also give a shout-out here to John Fitzpatrick, who put his name in the NFL draft yesterday, uh, saying that he came to Georgia because he wanted to play at the highest level and help UGA win a national championship with that goal achieved. He says, I'm going to move on to the uh, NFL. And obviously, maybe that was a somewhat surprising name. One of the reasons why we highlight Fitzpatrick here in particular is there may have been a little bit of a surprise related to him. One of the few surprises that have been out there, for the most part, the guys that have moved on, the Channing Tendles, the Quay Walkers, these were all things you could have expected here lately. The Fitzpatrick thing may be a little bit of a surprise. Here's what I will tell you really quickly, though. I remember when we were doing a Dog Nation Days of Summer event uh, a couple of years ago, we were doing it with Scott Werner, um, who was part of George's you know, a great success in the early 1980s, and uh, also the uncle of, uh, of Charlie Werner, who at the time was a tight end of the Georgia roster, and one of those guys that probably came into UGA with a little bit of a, hey, maybe that's going to be a version of what Brock Bowers was. Remember, uh, Werner at uh, Rabin County in his high school career had been used to kind of split out wide like a wide receiver and hit all that kind of stuff, and Really, when he got to Georgia, he was probably a little bit more used as a as kind of a blocking tight end a little bit. But you know, and Jeff Sintel tell you this because he had these conversations there as well. That in talking to Werner, you know, up there we were at uh, uh, Brasstown Valley Resort. Uh, you know, talking to Werner up there, they were very confident even before Warner, Charlie's you know UGA crew was done that he had a chance to go play in the NFL was likely going to because of the fact that he was a good athlete and then he was you know big frame and physical and. Charlie Warner to this day is still playing for the San Francisco 49ers. He's actually had himself kind of a nice NFL career here and made a lot of money in the process. It would not surprise me at all if John Fitzpatrick goes on to do the same thing. And Fitz is one of those guys that we had one of our Marlowe's events years ago, always been kind of a good dude and, you know, really kind of done the things that George asked him to do. And Mike Griffiths said this moment ago, and it's right, is that, you know, the guys that you have up and down the list of your NFL hopefuls, they all matter. And that real life is not fantasy football. You know, in the world of fantasy football, the only thing that matters are your quarterbacks, your wide receivers, and who's getting the glory and who's getting the attention. But an actual national championship story is told by the full 85-man roster. Who is willing to block? Who is willing to do the hard work? Who is willing to be the kind of leader that, that you know, all that requires? Who's willing to do those things for you? guys like John Fitzpatrick are. So he moves on, says he's ready to try the NFL. Would not surprise me at all to see Fitzpatrick an active member of NFL roster next season. And 
We wish him well as he gets ready to do that. A couple of things also as we sign off here for today. First of all, check out our friends at The Finish Long Drink. You can find it online, thelongdrink.com, and you can learn more about the four different varieties that are available from The Finish Long Drink, whether it's the traditional, which comes in a blue can, which is kind of a grapefruit flavor to go along with a nice gin kick, or Long Drink Strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume, Long Drink Zero, zero carbs, zero sugar. There's Long Drink Cranberry, which obviously has the cranberry flavor. It looks like a beer because it comes in a can, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. You can enjoy it, and when you check out the eight-can variety pack, you can actually try all four varieties of the Finnish Long Drink. Came from Finland in the 1950s, been in America now for a couple of years, in Georgia now there as well. So check out thelongdrink.com, and you can find out where you can pick some up. By the way, speaking of the NFL, also as we head towards uh, division round playoff weekend, getting some action down in one of these games makes watching the games so much fun. So join our friends at BetUS to do just that. BetUS.com, that's the website. Promo code DN125, that's DN125, and you can get a 125% sign-up bonus. That means BetUS is going to put more money in your account to start than you're going to. That's how they take care of you. They've been doing that now for more than 25 years. You don't get to be America's most beloved sports book unless you're taking good care of folks, and BetUS will take good care of you, including when you sign up using the promo code DN125 to get the 125% initial sign-up bonus. But you got to use BetUS.com as the website, promo code DN125 to get the big deposit bonus. Make sure you check them out today. All right, a couple of things here as we get ready to wrap things up. First of all, let's do a Gator Hater roll call and get our uh, golden shoe winner for today. Obviously, a lot of folks thinking about how the success of a national championship could benefit UGA recruiting. I think we're already seeing some of the fruits of that, and that's one of the things our Golden Shoe uh, submitter today shares with Chad Buchanan, our good buddy here, says, Dog Nation Daily 2023 recruits, I got four words for you. Commit to the G. You see the commitment chain there and then the uh, national championship hat. Really good stuff from Chad Buchanan on that. Congratulations to Chad for being our Golden Shoe winner for today. By the way, our Gator hater, uh, Updater, how about 4,759 days? 4,759 days since the lousy, stinking Gators won a national championship. We love reminding them of that. And, of course, something else to remind them of. 283 days from now, dogs as the defending champs go to Jacksonville. Getting a big win there. We will see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily. Have a great day, everybody. And on the podcast, I'm going to have the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. Or we'll take your comments here both on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily and in the comment section there at DogNation.com. BC on Twitter writes in to say, we talked yesterday about going back and rewatching the Orange Bowl, showing appreciation for that now that Georgia has gotten over the hump and beaten Alabama, making those kinds of things for some Georgia fans easier to appreciate. He says, hey, BA, my pick for the thing to appreciate is not tied to the Orange Bowl per se, but it is connected. It's the vindication of our team, DNA, and coaching philosophy. We proved that our brand of football can win it all. We didn't have to reinvent ourselves. And I think that um, I think that what BC brings up there is correct. We talked about some of that during the show here today. And obviously, Georgia is also on the way to upgrading its offense to match what it's able to do defensively there too. And as it does, you think the outlook of the program only stands to get even better under those uh, circumstances in, in that particular situation. But pretty clearly, as we said during today's regular show, you know, Nick Saban used to strut around bragging on himself for how much he was willing to evolve because of how much he perceived that college football had changed. But Nick Saban turns out to be wrong about that. The sport hadn't changed as much as he thought it did. All he really did was 
outsource control of his program over to a short-term offensive coordinator. Guys that he's had leave pretty quickly. Brian Dable, Mike Loxley, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, even Lane Kiff was only there for three years. But that was essentially Saban kind of voluntarily relinquishing about half of his coaching responsibilities over to somebody else. That, that Kirby kind of proved that Nick Saban over the course of time hasn't quite been as right as he thinks he has been. And yeah, there is a sense of validation that comes because of what Georgia did in the postseason this year. My dog Ryan also writes in, and he's just joking when he says this, but he says there's so many things you can take away from the title of yesterday's show in terms of what Alabama uh, took from Georgia. But but here's the thing, that ultimately the only thing that really mattered was the perception that Georgia fans had of themselves and that they were tricked into thinking that nothing else they did or the team did other than beating Alabama mattered at all. And that's just kind of a dark place to go to in your mind. And around here, we always try to keep the perspective on that, that there were a lot of really fun things happening for Georgia while it was waiting to beat Alabama. And the folks who kind of cast the the weight to knock off Saban and the Tide as some sort of interminable thing, they were always just wrong, that a market leader in any field is hard to topple. And the fact that Kirby Smart did it within six years doesn't speak to how long the wait was. It actually speaks to how quickly it was all accomplished. And it's one of those things I don't think Smart ever got the, quite the proper full appreciation for. But nonetheless, really good comments for those of you who also listen to the show via the browser at dognation.com. Hopefully the insertion of the YouTube feed there makes that a little bit easier for you because I know we've had a little bit of an issue with the podcast on the site. I honestly am not smart enough to understand why that is. But as we're working to get that fixed, hopefully the YouTube thing is kind of a workaround for you on that. Either way, thanks for being here for R.S. Andrews Cooldown. Check out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com. And we will look forward to seeing you back here again tomorrow.